Let us open our Bibles to 1 Kings 11. 1 Kings 11. I quote to you from 1 Chronicles, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Be not deceived. Don't think that you are strong enough. Do not think their influence weak enough that you can handle it. Evil communications corrupt good manners. If we marry the carnally minded, we will have carnal homes. If we marry unbelievers, we'll have an unbelieving home. If we allow our children to associate with carnal Christians, they will be carnal Christians. If we allow them to associate with unbelievers, it will steal away their faith. Evil communications corrupt good manners. That was written to a church that had allowed teachers into it that were teaching that the resurrection was past already and that there was no future resurrection of the dead. And so it had messed up the church at Corinth to deny the resurrection of the dead. And so there are 58 verses in 1 Corinthians 15 for the Apostle Paul to set the matter straight that there was indeed a resurrection of the dead and that there would be a general resurrection of all the dead. And it was in the middle of that 58-verse chapter that he wrote, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. The choice every one of you parents make for schooling, the choice every one of you parents make for employment, for your children, for yourselves, of course, but for your children, the friends in the neighborhood that you allow them to play with, the children at church, the children in your family, your extended family, every choice you make, you are going to feed by the input of friends the character of your children, the character of your home, and the character of yourself your wife, your, your, your husband, and may the Lord convict us by these two examples in the Bible, Solomon and Rehoboam, that evil communications corrupt good manners. Evil communications meaning the influence and the conveying of information, ideas, philosophy, and a lifestyle that is contrary to God's Word. It corrupts a godly manners. It corrupts a godly lifestyle. And we have two great examples. We considered recently Daniel at school, from Daniel chapter 1, where Daniel purposed in his heart to be righteous. We recently considered Daniel at work, where we saw that he had an excellent spirit and was without fault or error. And he continued to pray three times a day in spite of what the Persian government had ruled. We considered last Sunday Joash, corrupted by the princes of Judah. And now we want to consider two of the best prepared and most knowledgeable men that have ever lived that had good manners inculcated in them by their parents and by inspiration, and they were corrupted into foolishness and the destruction of their lives and the nation over which they had been given authority. Solomon was taught by David. The Bible says that in Proverbs chapter 4, my father taught me as Solomon turned around and taught his son, Rehoboam. Solomon's father was David, and he was inspired by God to be the wisest man ever. Rehoboam was taught by Solomon, who was inspired to write all those wonderful proverbs 
that would save both of those men from trouble. So that they would have prosperous and successful lives if they would just keep the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. How many times through the book of Proverbs do you hear Solomon writing, My son. Not my sons. My son. Who was the recipient of those words? Rehoboam. His son. The firstborn son. The son that was to take the throne at his death. My son. And yet, both men failed so miserably. The story is simple. The application is what we want to take away from it. Imagine having Solomon as your father. Were the dinner table discussions decent? Were the devotions decent? As your father would lay on you proverbs by inspiration and by his very wise observation of human existence. And he would explain them to you. He would be able to open dark sayings decently, wouldn't he? He wrote proverbs in dark sayings, but he would be able to explain them to his son, Rehoboam. Many write me from our daily proverb and commentary subscription list. How could Solomon make such a mess of his life when he wrote the book of Proverbs? Because God gave us that example for you to believe these words. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. And I'm going to show you another text about Solomon written by another man in the Bible that is going to bring that to bear. And how in the world could this happen to the wisest man who was given so much understanding of the practical temptations of bad women and the practical blessing of good women? How could he fail in the subject of women when he wrote more about women than anyone else in the Bible? Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. In every setting where we find ourselves and our children, we need to rank every person from top to bottom in their spiritual zeal, their holy living, their commitment to Christ, their dedication to following the Bible from top to bottom, and from top to bottom, emphasize those are my companions. If they're church members, I will exhort and warn and rebuke the ones at the bottom of the list, but they will not be my companions. I will do my Christian duty toward them, but I can't hang around them or be companions with them because their carnality is going to corrupt me. I want to rebuke them and fulfill my role, but then I want to company with those that will make me wiser and more spiritually minded. Every setting, your neighborhood. Your larger family, when you get together for family reunions, the school choice that you make for your children, their work situations, especially when they're young. You need to be so careful that you don't end up with Solomon and Rehoboam being corrupted by the influence in their life. Solomon by women, Rehoboam by men. There's two parts to the text in 1 Corinthians. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. The rule, evil communications corrupt good manners. I don't care if they're related to you. I don't care where they are. Evil communications will corrupt good manners. 
The Apostle Paul said at the church at Philippi, which is one of the best churches in the New Testament based on the content of his epistle to them, he said, I want you to mark them which walk like me and the other apostles and follow them. Because there are also many belly worshippers, even in the church at Philippi, whose end is destruction and whose glory is in their shame. And we need to be constantly making that distinction in who our children and we are around and who we fellowship with. Here we go. Solomon corrupted by women first. Solomon wrote that women increase the number of transgressors among men. Women are the greatest temptation for most men that a man ever faces. And they corrupt men and increase the transgressors. Yes, men corrupt women as well. But the emphasis of Proverbs is where I will keep the emphasis, and that is protecting young men, because young men are the leaders of churches and families, and they need to be protected from the strange woman. And so the emphasis in Proverbs is for young men against the danger of women. Do you know what Proverbs 2 is about? 5, 6, I'm talking about chapters, 7, 9. It's about the strange woman. Do you know that Solomon wrote, I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart are snares and nets and her hands as bands. Whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. You say, Amen. Solomon knows his situation as the best looking, richest king ever. He's got it down pat. But no, he said, I find. By experience, he had already seen it, but he fell to that experience. And he ends his life in a hopeless sense of destruction, both to his family, to his household, and to the whole nation of Israel going to be split. Solomon should have known better. Let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 3. You're at 11, which is what you read last evening, but I want to start with 3, because he set the stage early for his destruction. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1, And Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, we picked on Jehoshaphat last Sunday. Jehoshaphat was a great king, number four best out of all the kings of Judah. We picked on him because he made affinity with Ahab's house. He had his son Jehoram marry Ahab and Jezebel's daughter Ahaziah, and it wrecked havoc, didn't it? The amount of blood that was shed and the dysfunctional family lines and the mess that it made of both the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, especially. We saw that. But the word affinity was used in Second Chronicles 18 and 19 when Jehoshaphat made that foolish choice about mixing his son with the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. Same church, sort of. Same nation, church, state of Israel, but totally wrong. And God came and met. Remember when he came home and he was coming home in peace? And God sent the prophet to tell him he had made a grave error in being friends with Ahab and Jezebel. But here is Solomon. Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had made an end of building his own house and the house of the Lord, and the wall of Jerusalem round about. Usually when you think about Solomon, one of the first events you think about is him becoming king, and the Lord appearing to him very early on, 
asking him, what can I give you? And Solomon having the wonderful prayer that is in this, is in the next 15 verses of this chapter about praying for a wise and understanding heart. So he's confused. He's weak. He's tempted. He has in his heart, like verse 3, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. But he didn't walk in all the statutes of God his father. He walked in the statutes of David his father, and David had a problem with marrying more than one wife as well. So Solomon had a problem with women. And the first problem was, he married an unbeliever. He married someone that wasn't in the Lord. He married the daughter of Pharaoh. Why wasn't there a daughter in Israel that he could have married? He made affinity. He united his family and his family tree with the wicked and kept her in the city of Jerusalem. And so we see right off the bat that he has set the stage for ruin of his life. Why did God bless him in spite of his marriage? Because God is merciful. Amen. That is throughout the Bible. How did Samson make Hebrews 11? Did you ask yourself last Sunday, why did Jehoiada, the great man of character, give two wives to Joash? A common error for kings. They had plenty of money to support two. He could have supported 2,000. So there's plenty of money, plenty of needs. They want, money of needs can be met. And they want to raise a royal seed because the seed had come down to one man. You can think whatever you want to. You say, why did God allow that? Because God overlooks some sins, but there are always consequences even to sins that God overlooks. Did Samson have a messed up life, though he made it to Hebrews 11? I mean, a seriously messed up life. Did David have a messed up life because of multiple wives? Did the boys like each other? Or did they have a little bit of resentment there because they had different mothers? It's throughout the Bible. Did Sarah and Hagar get along well? Happy wives of one named Abraham? Did their boys get along well? Did Ishmael and Isaac like each other and love each other? Was it brotherly love at first sight? Or was it brotherly hatred? Because these are good questions that you ask. God is merciful. And God will sometimes allow us To have our heart's desire against His commandments, but it will cost you every time. He gave them quail when they asked, but He sent leanness into their soul. Solomon starts off wrong, but he still loves the Lord in his heart. Though he loves the Lord in his heart, he has set the stage to end up departing from the Lord by marrying Pharaoh's daughter. Did Asa overlook the high places and did God... Count his heart perfect in his sight? Yes. Yes. Did those high places cause a lot of trouble in the religious history of Israel? Yes. There are always consequences, even when God is merciful. There is only one thing for us to do. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. And if the Bible tells us, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. If the Bible tells us God made one woman for one man, then we believe that. And we stick to that. And we don't vary from that, even if we can find countless examples in the Old Testament of so-called great men with more than one wife. Are we committed to that? Whatever the Bible says we're going to do, not what men in the Bible did do. Because God is merciful. 
If you measure yourselves by their lives, you can get away with being a Samson. Live your life with Philistine prostitutes, then commit suicide and end up in Hebrews 11. Is that the standard? That's the exception. The standard is, what does the Word of God say? What if polygamy was legal in the United States? Right now, you ambitious men are limited by the laws of the land. What if the laws of the land said that you could have up to four, along with the laws of Saudi Arabia? What would we do as a church? We would hold you accountable to marrying a one wife. What if a man came to join us that already had his four? I've been down this road before. We cannot waste any more time. If a man came to join us who had already married four, he would repent that he had done something that was contrary to the Word of God, and we would take the five of them in as church members. We've been down that road before. Could he be a bishop or a deacon? Absolutely not. Could he barely be a church member? Yes. (laughs) But are we going to let someone here marry a second? No, we're going to stick with God's Word. Plain enough, Malachi chapter 3, Genesis chapter 2. That's not the point here, but I I wanted to make the point because sometimes reading these you might be confused. Why did God bless Solomon with this vision and this great wisdom and wealth and longevity and deliverance from his enemies when he'd already started off by marrying an unbeliever? Because he's merciful. So we start right here. The people sacrificed in high places because there was no house built in the name of the Lord until those days. This is verse 2. Verse 3, Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and burned incense in high places. See, he had a religious problem as well as a marital problem. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. He offered this huge burnt offering because he did love the Lord in his heart, but he was in error. And the Lord is merciful to him. But that error is going to lead to another error. Because sin not confessed is a corrupting, deceitful thing. And don't be deceived about that either. In Hebrews chapter 3, it tells us that we should exhort one another daily, lest we be hardened through the enough said, the deceitfulness of sin, so that you would even depart from the living God. You're kidding me. Is sin deceitful enough that if I allow one little one, it could grow and become big enough to make me depart from the living God? That's the lesson, brethren. And it's in the New Testament as well. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. Solomon loved many women. Now we can turn over to 1 Kings 11, where I hope you've already read the lesson that is contained there in the first 13 verses. And our brother Stephen has already read a couple of the first verses to us about King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh. He started out with the daughter of Pharaoh. Then he added to her Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, the very nations God had said, don't marry them. It's found in Exodus and Deuteronomy. Do not marry your sons to their daughters or your daughters to their sons because they will turn away your hearts to worship their gods instead of the God of heaven. It is that simple. Mixed marriages are terrible. Mixed marriages are wrong. If someone is converted and they're already in a mixed marriage, God deals with that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But we never enter into a mixed marriage. God save us. God help us. And every one of you fathers, it is absolutely wrong. Your children will marry in the Lord. Why don't you just go and smother them in a crib 
and get them over with and confess the sin of murder if you're going to let them grow up and marry out of the Lord. Solomon, according to verse 3, had seven... I didn't mean that. Can I speak metaphorically once in a while? It's that serious. He had 700 wives, and they were princesses, and he had 300 concubines, second-class wives, and his wives turned away his heart. His wives turned away his heart. That's how we marry in the Lord. His wives turned away his heart because it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. David sinned, but David confessed his sins. God forgave him his sins, and God considered him the standard of kings from then on, even even with his sins, because God forgave him those sins, because he confessed those sins. Solomon didn't confess his sin. Solomon continued on with his strange women until they had turned away his heart. There was There is no mercy, there is no description of mercy in the end of Solomon's life. So I don't put it in the Bible. I don't think that Solomon had some great revival near the end of his life. If there was some great revival, where is God's mercy? Why didn't he keep the nation together? Everything continued on just as God described that it would for the sins that Solomon committed by marrying first the daughter of Pharaoh, then all the rest of these women. He violated the basic rule of the Word of God. And he had one of the largest hearts that God has ever given to men. The Bible says that. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29. God gave largeness of heart to Solomon. He had a heart for wisdom and a heart for understanding and a mind and mental acuity for it unmatched by any other man. God inspired him abundantly. He wrote 3,000 Proverbs. You only have a few hundred in the book of Proverbs. He wrote a 1,000 songs. Men could come and sit and he could talk about trees until they knew everything there was to know about trees. It's all in 1 Kings chapter 4. The man was blessed abundantly. Why was his name called by Nathan the prophet Jedediah? Because the Lord loved him. The Lord loved Solomon. He had a great mother. I was tender and only beloved. In the sight of my mother. He had a great father. My father taught me. Proverbs chapter 4 mentions both of those parents in Solomon's upbringing and teaching him wisdom. The words that wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. Who spoke those words? David to Solomon. Good manners. Who had the best manners? What book of the Bible? If if I said to you, pick the book of the Bible that describes manners, which book would you pick? Proverbs. Proverbs is the book of manners. It's how to deal in all situations of living with other people. He had excellent manners. Don't we turn? Isn't our manner book the book of Proverbs? How to have good manners? Solomon wrote all those. He believed them. He penned them. My son. I want to give you these rules so that you can be a great man in the sight of God and others and so that you can be a great king. He had the best manners. Did he love God? We just read that he loved God. My children, I'm sorry that you have to hear this sermon twice. I really am. Somebody doesn't believe me. They're closer to the truth. Solomon. Who loves the first eight chapters of 1 Kings? Do you know what's happening in the first eight chapters? It's Solomon taking all the wealth 
that David gave him and adding to it on his own account and building that exceeding magnificent temple to God. Is the dedication of that temple decent? Were there 120 trumpeters making one noise? How many sheep did he offer as his token of love for the Lord? 120,000 sheep. How many oxen? They're big. 22,000 oxen on an altar. And who lit it? God lit the sacrifice by sending fire down from heaven and sucking up 120,000 sheep and 22,000 oxen. And the glory of God filled the temple of God so that the priest couldn't even go into the temple. And he got down on his knees. He got down on his knees and lifted up his hands to heaven. And he prayed one of the most fantastic prayers in the Bible of dedication to that temple. This is Solomon. Did he have good manners? He ended up offering his children in sacrifice to the gods of the Moabites and the Ammonites. He ended up building temples to the gods of his wives so that they could offer sacrifices. And all you have to do is read a little bit of Bible history and find out that those gods that are mentioned there, they were gods that were hungry for children. And he built them altars and temples so that his wives could worship and his heart was turned away from the Lord his God. And it all started with... Because he loved this beautiful girl. She was such a good girl. She was such a good girl. And there were so many advantages to marrying the daughter of Pharaoh. And that's where it all started. And every single one of you parents, you've got to be so protective and careful. Do not let emotion or attraction or interest get started with an unbeliever. Amen. This isn't why I'm preaching. I had this sermon picked for weeks. This is what I get in the mail. Dear Christian sister, if you listen to this sermon and you hear this letter, you know that I've altered a few words in it so that no one can know where you are or who you are. And I pray God to have mercy upon your soul. As I've already told you, questions at letgodbetrue.com I was wondering if I could get your perspective and advice on a situation. I've been married for coming up to six years now. I met my husband through a past job. We were in different states, and he was separated from his wife. Now we talked due to necessity, and then he kept phoning. No red flags were raised for me, as I was a new Christian and very worldly. A pastor also had a separated friend he was trying to set me up with who was not divorced. I got to know the friend, but never dated, though he was pretty relentless in his pursuit. Shortly after, I had to work with my husband, though we were strangers at the time. He kept phoning, and I talked to him, but it was only at work, and it seemed innocent just for a few minutes. I kept advising him to try to work it out with his wife. He is a non-believer. I cringe now when I look back at everything and the decisions made. He started emailing me and we'd talk. At first it was about his marriage. Then it shifted. I went to his state to visit my parents. And by now I was quite attached. He pretended even to be interested in God and would sometimes go to church and went to a Bible study with a Christian co-worker and her husband. He came out for a visit, 
and we committed adultery. We married shortly after I moved to his city. And of course, it's been sheer hell ever since. I married him mostly because we committed adultery and thought somehow that would make things right. Now I fully believe you can marry the wrong person and suffer for it. Before, I never heard that or believed it. I am really struggling with the guilt, anger. I feel betrayed by him. But of course, he never really was a believer, just a pretender. But mostly, I am angry with myself. I could have avoided this. I am wondering if you can help me put this in perspective. I really appreciate the advice and time you have taken to give me a godly answer in the past. I don't even know what the answer was in the past. There's no name. And no name, Christian sister, the God of heaven, be your joy and the strength of your heart. And I gave her lots of hope. Because there's lots of hope in the Bible for anyone that sins and repents. But I have two things I want to say. There are people that will show an interest in God that do not have an independent fear of God and they are not good enough to be your spouse. You had better see an independent fear of God and a love of Christ that is in their own heart that you don't have to cultivate, stroke, provoke, or squeeze out of them. They love the Lord Jesus Christ. They fear God and they want to do what is right. On their own, whether you are their friend, spouse, or marry them or not, they are going to follow the Lord. That is what you have to require. And anything less than that is not good enough. And we can elaborate on those words, but I hope that I've been plain enough in the past. An independent fear of God. You single people, you have no idea. You have no idea. And I'm, I'm not putting you down, but you have no idea how painful marriage can be to the wrong person. It's far worse than the pain of being single. The second thing I want to say, every girl under the sound of my voice, whether she's a girl of 10 or a girl of 110, marriage does not make fornication right. Marriage does not make adultery right. That is exactly what whoremongers and fornicators and adulterers want you to think because they think if they can get you to sleep with them early, then they've got your heart as well because you're so emotional, you think you owe that man the rest of your life and you do not. There is only one man that can give you away to a man like that. And that is your father. And the Bible makes the father of the girl responsible for the girl even if she fornicates. Fornication is not made right by marriage. Fornication is made right by marriage and the approval of a father. Hear the word and in there. This is not the only case I know about where girls have wasted their lives in marriages where they shouldn't have been because they felt guilty for the sin of fornication and they thought they could make it right with God by marrying the guy. That doesn't make it right. And you fathers, you better protect your girls. Fornication is not the worst sin in the world. It's a sin. All sins are bad. That doesn't mean you have to marry the guy. Generally, the rule of thumb would be, a guy that treats your daughter that way shouldn't be her husband. Because he's not going to be much of a Christian. That is the general rule of thumb. 
If there are any exceptions to that, it is by the grace of God. And I'll always tell you the truth. As far as God will show it to me. I wrote that unknown sister and I said, tell me about the sheer hell. And it was a hellacious letter. Most of you don't even know that people like this exist. There are a couple people in this church that know. And a named sister in here that knows. We will marry in the Lord. And the marriage in the Lord is not going to be because somebody fornicated, so we're going to marry at the bottom of the spiritual ladder. We're going to marry at the top of the spiritual ladder. And you've got to teach your daughter, and you've got to show her some pain. And if you need help from me or from other people in this church that have been through the pain of some marriages to unbelievers, they and I would be happy to help you if that would be helpful to you. But we are going to marry in the Lord. We are not going to be like Solomon. Turn to the book of Nehemiah. How in the world could Solomon build a temple on the hill before Jerusalem to a false god? So that the Israelites on their way to Jerusalem to worship in that temple that was one of the wonders of the world would have to pass temples to false gods because he married the wrong woman. You young people, don't tell your parents. Well, well, he or she, they're just not very exciting to be around. Yes, you are right. They fear the Lord the most in the whole congregation. Yes, they do, but they're just not very exciting to be around. They just don't light my fire. Well, then you light it. What in the world are you measuring by? A woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. I'm just going by the Word of God. What does the Bible say? Listen, if you want a spiritual exercise, go home and read your proverb commentary on Proverbs 31.30 and then pull John Gills up on Proverbs 31.30 and see if God hasn't given us just a tiny tad of understanding of the practical realities of how we marry. That poor man was so... Listen, they spiritualized the whole book of Proverbs. How can you spiritualize the book of Proverbs? The book of Proverbs is a practical book of instruction to save your life, not to give you eternal life. Favor is deceitful. Is that what lights your fire? Well, he just does such neat things for me. He just makes me so happy. He's such a good listener. He understands me better than anyone. (laughs) Two idiots sharing with each other. You don't want somebody that understands you. You want someone that understands God's Word and is going to exhort you and lead you and prompt you and push you and encourage you toward it. Favor is deceitful, beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Nehemiah chapter 13, look at the problem they had in Nehemiah 13. Do you know who these people are in Nehemiah chapter 13? These are recovered Jews from Babylon. What did they spend 70 years there for? Because they hadn't kept God's commandments. They were ripped 500 miles away from their homes and put in Babylon. As captives, now they're free, they're back in Jerusalem... After 70 years of punishment, 70 years, did you ever get 70 strokes from your dad? Hardly. Well, hardly. I needed them. Okay. 70 years in Babylon. 
Do you want to read their sin? Listen to this. Nehemiah 13, 23. In those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod, and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And I contended with them, and cursed them, and smote certain of them, and plucked off their hair, and made them swear by God, saying, Ye shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons, or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him who was beloved of his God and God made him king over all Israel. Twelve tribes. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. Shall we then hearken unto you to do all this great evil, to transgress against our God in marrying strange wives? This is the word of the Lord. Even Solomon... Whom God loved. That's why I went through the questions I did. Why was he called Jedediah? Because the Lord loved him. Did Nehemiah raise that same point about him? This man was an exception. And this man was turned away in his heart from Jehovah because of his wives. And these people had gone and done the very same thing by marrying the women of the very same nations. You want to know what outlandish means? It means out of your land. It means a foreigner. That is the original intent of the word. It is, it's, it's developed in our day in, to mean bizarre, extreme, uncouth. But in the Bible time in 1611, outlandish, go look at the primary definition of the word. It means to be out of the land, a foreigner. He was in love with foreign women. Can't you tell that by 1 Kings 11? It just lists a bunch of foreign nations. That's who he wanted to marry. They were different. We don't want difference. We want godliness. Now, if you think that I'm too hard on this subject, and why do you just keep repeating this message? We've heard 1 Corinthians 15.33. Just thank God that I haven't smote any of you. I haven't cursed you. I haven't ripped your hair off yet. I'm nothing compared to Nehemiah. And I'm going I'm to tell you something that I believe. Now, if I... I don't believe it enough to start pulling your hair off. But I believe when we meet, when we meet the Lord Jesus Christ for one second, you'll wish I was more like Nehemiah. And I live, people can accuse me of whatever they want to accuse me of, of being Neanderthal and anachronistic and out of time and out of step. All I know is this is what the Word of God says, and this is a man that God loved. And this is a man that could pray, Lord, look upon me for good that I have done. Because this is one of the things he did that was good. I contended with them. I cursed them. I smote certain of them. I plucked off their hair, and I made them swear. And I'm preaching to you right now by the authority of God's Word. We marry only in the Lord. And we define that the way we define church membership. If we're going to call marrying in the Lord, meaning anybody who would use the name Jesus Christ, then do the, are the Mormons good enough? Are the Roman Catholics good enough? Seventh-day Adventists? Presbyterians? Presbyterians, okay. Little baby is born. Your little girl is a Baptist. She, you let her marry a Presbyterian because... 
he was a good guy. He's a good guy, combed his hair. He was always on time bringing my daughter home. Bring her home from where? What are they going to do with little baby? Daddy's mommy, that means your daughter's mother-in-law, wants that baby sprinkled in the Presbyterian church. Now, what have you created? But he was a good guy. He was a good guy. He got A's and B's in school. He made the dean's list, along with the other 75% of his graduating class. But he was so smart. That's what it takes to make the dean's list. You have just blown it. We're going to marry in the Lord. We're going to define it the way we would define the churches of Jesus Christ. We know a few. We may find more. We trust that there's many more. We don't know where they are. Because if you marry with differences, how are you going to resolve them? Since you're already committing up front that the Bible isn't very important, and you can believe this, and I'm going to believe that, and we're going to agree to disagree because we love each other so much. How, where's your love of God? Right. Your faithfulness to Him. Nehemiah 13. Outlandish women. Be not deceived, for even King Solomon was taken down by women. Rehoboam. Hopefully you read it. 1 Kings chapter 12. Hopefully you read it last night. I only need a few minutes. Let's, let's leave women. Let's just talk about friends in general. The friends you allow your children to have that are of the same sex. If they're carnally minded, your child's going to be carnally minded. If they're worldly minded, your child's going to be worldly minded. Carnal and worldly, very similar. <laughs> If they're unbelievers, they're going to take away your children's conviction about doctrine. It's unavoidable. It's impossible to stop it. It's be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. How could the Apostle Paul spend 18 months in Corinth preaching and starting that church? Do you know what one of his favorite subjects was? After all, who had he seen alive after he died? Come on. I'm helping you out. Jesus. Had he seen the resurrected Lord? Was, was the resurrection of the dead one of his favorite themes? Was it one of the favorite themes of all the apostles? Was it, was it supposed to be one of the favorite themes? Yes. How in the world could a group of fishermen prove that Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead? By repeated preaching on it and a whole lot of miracles backing up the preaching. It was a theme of his preaching. And yet at Corinth, evil communications had corrupted them to deny the resurrection of the dead. How does that happen? How were they all baptized at Corinth? By sprinkling? Sprinklers don't believe in the resurrection. They can say they do, but they don't believe in it the Bible way. No, they were all immersed. Because doesn't Paul argue in 1 Corinthians 15 that they had been buried and raised from water? In verse 29? How could they leave the doctrine? Because evil communications corrupt good manners. What happened to Rehoboam? He's made king. Let me get this in before I forget it. Rehoboam's son is Abijah. Abijah tried to follow the Lord. And he went to battle against Israel. The two tribes went against the ten. And he gives quite a speech, and you should read it. And he's in that speech, and he tells Israel, you know what you're doing right now? You're fighting against the God of Jerusalem. You're fighting against the God of David. 
you're fighting against Jehovah, and you shouldn't be doing this. And if you want to go ahead and fight, then we're going to go ahead and have a war. And they set ambushments behind him. He was hemmed in on every side. But the Lord was with him. Amen. And he won. But I want to say this. In his speech, he said, You know, the only reason you exist, Israel, because you were too hard on my dad when he was young and tender. <laughs> have, you, have you read it, brother? you got to read it, too. Wait a minute. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign. He was not young and tender. But anyway, Abijah was making a good case that they didn't really have a legitimate status for their nation. But I want to point out that Rehoboam is 41 years old. And he went to Shechem in verse 1. And the people come to him and ask a favor. Verse 4, thy father made our yoke grievous. And all you have to do is read the Bible and remember a few things. And Solomon had levies and tributes and taxed those people. He took their sons, he took their daughters, and he took their money, he took their herds, he took their grain to supply the luxurious standard of living in Jerusalem that the Queen of Sheba said it took her breath away to stand there and watch the way they served a meal. That costs a little bit. And so the people come. Thy father made our yoke grievous, all his building projects, all of his experiments. Now therefore make thou the grievous service of thy father and his heavy yoke which he put upon us lighter, and we will serve thee. And he said, give me three days to think about it. A righteous man would have heard a nation saying, reduce our taxes just a little, make it lighter, and we will serve you. Because he would have known my father was oppressive. The building projects, do you know how many palaces it takes to house a thousand wives? Okay. Do you know what it takes to build a temple for each of them that has a different religion? Okay. You're understanding? He oppressed the people. They said, make it a little lighter and we'll serve you. A wise man wouldn't have needed any time to answer. And you know what? The old men said, you should answer them today. And you should speak kind words to them. And say, I will serve you. And I will be the best king that I possibly can be. And you're right, my father had taxes. And I cut the taxes in half right now. Because I'm not going to have any of those building projects that he had. And let's worship the Lord together. And it could have been one happy day. He turned to the counselors of Solomon, the old men that were his father's counselors. Do you understand what it would take to be appointed by Solomon to be a counselor? What kind of a WQ test would you have to pass to be a counselor of Solomon? And then, as a counselor of Solomon, you would have spent 10, 20, 30, 40 years, he reigned 40, watching Solomon apply his wisdom to all kinds of cases that you could have observed. Were those men decent? Were they decent counselors? Were they probably the best little band of men the world's ever seen in WQ? And so he asked the old men, and the old men give wisdom that we can just immediately say, Amen! That is, Do you know why you know that? Because you have humbled yourself to the Word of God, and you've all turned your backs on your basketball buddies. You've all turned your backs on your fraternity buddies. You've all turned your backs on your military buddies. I don't care that you went through basic training with some other idiot. That is not a man you go to for wise counsel. You go to the counselors of Solomon. What did they say? 
The old man said, verse 7, If thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day, and wilt serve them, and answer them, and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever. That is just precious wisdom. Do we know that from the book of Proverbs? Do we know that the book of Proverbs says, Mercy and truth establishes the king? He that faithfully judges the poor shall be established in his throne? Does the Bible say all that? Does it say grievous words stir up anger and a soft answer turneth away anger? Does it say all that? We know that's, we know that's God's wisdom right there. Three days for what? That's irritating right off the bat. Yes, we will let you, simply because you were born to the previous king, be our king. You can live in the palace and you can tax us and take our sons and daughters and take our money and live in Jerusalem and wear the crown and ride the best horse. Yes, we will let you have that office and we will serve you. Could you give us a 10% reduction in taxes? Well, I need three days to think about it. You shouldn't have needed three seconds. He turns to his basketball buddies. How do I know they're his basketball buddies? Because twice the Lord wants us to know they were the young men that were grown up with him and which stood before him. They were the kids he went to school with. They were his basketball buddies. They were his fraternity buddies. They were his military buddies. They spent eight weeks together at boot camp. They got their head shaved, and they all ate at the same table. They were told when to get up, what clothes they had to wear, how fast they had to run, and how they had to make their bed together. They did that for eight weeks. They were his basketball buddies, his fraternity buddies, and his military buddies. And they had continued to hang around each other. And in their arrogance, they said, You decay! Days of slaves. Smoke them. Eat them. Tax them. You the king. And we're your friends. Oh, and they fed his ego. You go out and tell them that your little finger is bigger than your father's loins. That is so arrogant and so haughty. Take three days and then come and tell them, my father may have chastised you with whips, but I'm going to chastise you with scorpions. Now the matter was from the Lord. The words are not from the Lord. The matter is from the Lord. God is determined like he has every single other thing in history. The matter was from the Lord that he was going to tear the nation in half because it had been his plan all along, and he was going to use Solomon's rebellion in marrying women as the root cause of it. But those foolish young men are still foolish. Their advice is still foolish. And Rehoboam is still foolish for listening to them. And he's still foolish for not listening to the old men. He had it made in the shade. And so he goes out and tells them, and they had wonderful words for him, didn't they? Oh, is that, is that the way it is after three days? That's what you have to say to us? What portion do we have in David? Oh, oh, we don't have any in the inheritance of the sons of Jesse. Oh, Judah, see to your own nation. Bye-bye. Have a nice life. That's what they said. Have a nice life. And walked away. Rehoboam's really realizing that <clears throat> 80% of my taxation, 80% of the taxes just disappeared. IRS, 
after them. After them. Get our money out of them before they leave. They stone him to death. Rehoboam jumps in his chariot and saves his life by getting to Jerusalem. And that's the story. What's the story for us and what's the application for us? Had he heard about counselors? Had he ever heard these words? My son, in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. When the Bible says in a multitude of counselors there is safety, does that mean that there is safety in your basketball buddies? When the Bible says in a multitude of counselors there is safety, does the Lord assume that you have a vague idea that a counselor is someone a little older than you, a little wiser than you, a little more experienced than you, a little more successful than you? When you ask your basketball buddies who are just as dumb as you, as inexperienced as you, and as young as you, how can they help you? Do you know why you go to them? Because they're going to pat you on the back and say, good boy, good idea, go for it. You say, well, sometimes I don't know who to ask to be my counselors. Look for men that are wise, men that are successful, men that are experienced, men that fear the Lord, men that have been through some trials and troubles in their lives, men who have knowledge of the things that you are facing. Go ask them. Men that fear the Lord, hate covetousness, are indifferent emotionally and sentimentally. They're just going to tell you the way it is that they see it. Those are the men you want to go to. Well, give me some more practical advice on how to find those kind of men. Go to the men that you know are going to blow your idea to smithereens. That's who you go to. Do you know why you don't go to them? Because they're going to torpedo your brilliant idea. Do you know why you go to your buddies? Because they just understand me better. Of course they do. It takes one to know one. This is the word of the Lord. When the Bible says in a multitude of counselors there is safety, it is talking about wise men, experienced men, successful men, older men. The gray head, the hoary head, when it's found in the way of righteousness, is a crown of glory. And that's the kind of man you want to go to. Brother, I heard a testimony between services of something that you have done in the last 24 hours that is outstandingly noble in wisdom. And if you need me to jog your memory, because you do it all the time, and may may have forgotten one incident that I know about, I'll tell you afterwards. It was shared with me at break time. You proved that you're a counselor in our church. I mean, Leon Carnell, in case you don't know who I'm looking at. And there's others in this assembly. Proverbs 13.20 puts it this way. These are words you've heard before as long ago as last Sunday. Proverbs 13.20. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. Oh, if Rehoboam would have just jumped into that group of older men and say, help me, I'm a 41-year-old child and I need your help to run this nation. And they have asked me a difficult question. They've asked me to reduce the taxation of my father. Would that be giving up my authority as a king if I was to give them a 10% tax cut? Would that be giving up authority? Would that be still pleasing to God that I was the king and I'm the man in charge even if I were to reduce their taxes a little bit? Some of you husbands don't understand that, that sometimes you can give and get farther than just taking more. The old men would have said, we'll take care of you. 
Get up there and speak kindly to the people and do it today. Get this over with. Tell them to go home and celebrate and to, to eat out on the way home. The taxes are going to be reduced. They're going to get a check in the mail. And they, you know what they said to him? We will serve you forever. And the, men, the old men knew that. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And destroyed the nation of Israel and Rehoboam's reign over the twelve tribes. He had been taught those things, but he couldn't put them into practice. I hope that you understand the importance of marrying in the Lord. And not just marrying in the Lord, marrying well in the Lord. Independent fear of God, meaning that they on their own speak of the things of Christ, talk about the Bible, love strong preaching, hate the world and unrighteousness, want to stick to doctrinal standards found in the Bible, and the other 45 phrases of description that I have in a chart for your good that you've had for over 10 years that describes what it means to fear the Lord. That is the only person you should marry of either sex. For those of you girls or anyone that is wondering about my point that marriage does not make fornication right on its own, it's Exodus 22, verses 16 and 17, and I'll help you through it any time you want. It is a father of the girl, because the father of the girl has to make a very wise choice based on his greater experience. Can that is that young man, did he just slip, or is that indicative of his character? Is that just a failure, or is he a failure? Exodus 22, verses 16 and 17. The importance of friends can't be emphasized too much. The Bible says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness? It doesn't get, they're incompatible. Can't be yoked together. A yoke was a chunk of wood that had two holes in it for two oxen to stick their heads in and to be able to pull forward and pull one plow, other implement, or a wagon behind them, yoked together. But if you have, if you have an ox and you have a St. Bernard, they don't yoke together very well. You don't put a little Shetland pony in one side of a yoke with an ox on the other side. The yoke tends to get a little twisted as they apply some pressure against it. You don't get yoked together that way. Believers with unbelievers. David's zeal in this matter is wonderful. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Is that the first verse of the book of Proverbs? I mean, the book of Psalms? The book of Psalms, first verse? That's the, that's the standard we want to follow. Much more could be said. One of the character traits of the righteous is, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. We want to look and measure our friends for our children, for ourselves, for our church, for marriage, by who fears the Lord. I hope the preaching of God's Word has been profitable to you. I hope you'll remember these lessons. I hope you will make them as practical as you can to your children. There are experienced people in this congregation who will share some of their life's pains if you need practical help in making this very real to your children. Any pain now in explaining such things to them is a whole lot better than the 50 years of marital hell of marrying an unbeliever. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.